Oh, look at that. Look at that. Hey, why is it the head, that head next to him is so big? What is, what's someone with that head next to him? Thing oh, is no. big. It's got this, like, I won an Academy Award vibe to that head next to his. <laughs> like, it's bigger than the fucking Myers head. Did Anderson. Randy Falk do that? Uh, you know, just to kind of try to tell you something? What is that? Maybe, maybe. <laughs> Here we are, in all our glory, episode 15. 15, everybody. Wow, we made it to 15. Yep. F 15 weeks we've been doing this. As a lad, I wouldn't have thought I made it to 15, you know? I thought I would have been no. dead in a ditch somewhere. But here we are, oh, episode 15, Jesus. age 50. Yeah. Yep. Lost all, all will to live, but I'm here. We're here. We're going to have on Mr. Jeffrey Combs. I'm very excited about Jeffrey yep. Combs. What a great actor, class act. Yeah, and we're going to talk all Star <clears throat> Trek today. It's going to be an all Star Trek episode. No, that's no, all. We're not. Yeah, we're just we're going to go over Rather all the various characters his... from the Star Trek universe. That's what this was about. You didn't? Oh, you know, is it? You can get the email. Yeah. What? Hell, hold on. Come Rather on. talk man. about his Edgar Allan Poe. We're going to do a deep dive into Doctor Mordred. Okay. I don't know. Well, shit. Before we get into that, we're doing it a little bit out of order than how we normally do things. Uh, so we're actually going to do our intro before the actual interview all at the same time. Holy oh, crap. So, that's so we don't have to come idea. back and do yeah. it again. Uh, but in doing so, we didn't have that many questions because we answered all of them in the episode you just saw, episode 14 with uh, our friend from Ice Nine Kills, Spencer. Mm -hmm. um, speaking Maybe of which... We can, we can fit, some, fit some stuff in that we couldn't fit in on that one because Grandpa was so tired and loopy that he, was, he, had, to, he had to check out. <laughs> so maybe we fit some of those. I don't know. Or maybe Who's not. Grandpa maybe in the even, scenario? Is that you? That's me. Oh, okay. So look, we just got this in the mail um, yesterday. Woohoo! And look at that. Yeah, it, it's a very cool package. Thank you, Spencer. It, so it's one is a DVD and one is a CD. Mm. But I'm guessing a live concert type situation. Um, I don't know. I haven't watched the DVD yet. But it's cool because inside this booklet, it looks like a script. Mm. And they, they laid it out like a little script. The oh, lyrics. Nice. And stuff. It's, it's pretty cool. They did a nice job with this. I downloaded the... Uh, the music to my iTunes last night and listened to a little bit of it. And mm -hmm. um, I'm liking it. It's got a very Avenged Sevenfold vibe to mm. it, um, mm. which I don't know if he would agree or disagree with, but it, to me, it, it reminded me of Avenged Sevenfold, very theatrical and melodic and heavy. Uh, I like it. I'm digging it. Mm. I also, uh, so I have two copies. I'll be giving you one as well. Yeah, and I also... Took a listen last night to the Everscathed. Oh, how's the ev Everscathed? Um, it's, uh, I mean, it's really not my thing because I'm not so much for that type of vocals. Uh, mm -hmm. it's, it's got that rah, rah, rah kind of vocals. Mm -hmm. Musically, I was kind of digging it. Um, 
I'll be honest with you guys. I dug the older one more than the newer ones. This I was looking at. This is like 2008, and this is like 2013. This one, I just know that the this one here is the older of the two, and I was digging the production on this one more, uh, specifically the drum sound. Being a drummer, I, I like the drum sound on this. Um, yeah, it's cool. I mean, I, I'm I'll I'll listen more. I didn't dive deep into it i was kind of skimming and listening to different tracks and seeing what caught my ear but i dig it mm -hmm. you know uh yeah it, ever scathed thank cool. you thank you um thank you i'm gonna give it i'm gonna give it a listen i haven't been listening or watching much stuff because i've been busy with work and it's been uh it's been a little nutty lately but uh my schedule you know yeah. uh, but i'm i plan on having a um a uh music room sit down listen to all this kind of stuff just got this in the mail from scream factory the pumpkin head steel book oh boy yeah look at that pretty excited about that pretty cool i still haven't got anything from scream factory so you know just cool. keep keep checking the mailbox every day just keep checking okay that's all i got to say um right. yeah just keep checking you know maybe your mailman's stealing shit I'm just saying. He could be, you know, I, well, that wouldn't surprise me. It's kind of like when, uh, you know, you order food, what do they say? Uh, how, what's the percentage that when you order takeout, the driver eats part of your food? Ooh, I don't know about it's that. It's like, there's like a really high percentage of that. I just saw a statistic of like, if you order, you know, whatever. They'll, they'll, let's say you get some garlic knots in there. They're going to take one of your garlic knots. That's why your garlic knots are an odd number. You're like, wait, it's supposed to be six or five. What's going on? It's because they ate one. It's a hard gig too, you know, and they get hungry. <clears throat> um, so we got a couple questions here before we get into the Coombs interview. Sweet. Adam Wilson said, love the show. Every episode has been fun and entertaining. The Halloween ranking video was a ton of fun. I would love to see you guys rank all the Friday the 13th films. We did that. Well, sort of. I think they want like a deep dive, an official ranking. Oh. Oh. Because we, we were just, just skimming of, the surface on that one. flippantly said, oh, this one's better than this one. Blah, blah. Now we got to really think. Ah. Okay. I'm box, down for that. I, cause I'm like, yeah. With the new Scream box set coming out, I think, you know, We've been inviting these various musicians to come on and do rankings. To my surprise, not one person has brought up Friday the 13th. I thought it would have been one of the first ones, you know, like an obvious, but. I guess not, not a lot of fans of those. I guess it's a, well, no, it wouldn't be a generational thing because most of the musicians we've been talking to were younger, right? Zach and Spencer are the two young ones of all the ones we're going to be right. interviewing, so. Oh, right, but the ones coming up are our age. Are fucking crusty like us, yeah. I mean, yeah, some of them, we better get on it. Some of them may not even make it to the interview. Oh. COVID, bro. Eddie Van Halen. Who would have thought? Who would have thought? I know. You know, I, Eddie Van Halen, that was a huge, not to detract the conversation, but no, we have to, to try to make We have to talk about Eddie Van Halen. Yeah. No, you uh, we have something. to talk about it. I mean, that that was huge. That was like that was a big brutal. I got five texts, five six texts in the matter of five minutes uh, from various people going no, because people know I'm a huge Van Halen fan, as we all are. But I mean, going Eddie Van Halen died, and I'm like fuck off. And then no, Eddie Van Halen died. Like seriously, and um, 
That's crazy. And then a friend of mine said he was reading something about it. The doctors say it looked like he got the he got the the cancer from uh, sucking on hit no from metal picks, putting the metal picks in his mouth. He didn't play. He didn't play with it. It spread picks. elsewhere. No, it, he did for yeah. He did for a long time. Yeah, he did. It was pretty well known. It was from. It was from smoke. It was throat cancer. It wasn't from putting metal. Oh, I'm sure. In your mouth. Come I'm on. sure. I'm sure. I'm sure the smoke smoking five packs a day has something to do with it. Of course, I'm not denying that. Metal I'm just pick. saying that there's there's more information about it. Yeah. Oh man. Now that's some, some conspiracy shit that fucking smokers no. are coming up with, dude. Metal picks, dude. His music was so metal. What I heard smokers are coming up with that? No smokers came up with that. You, I didn't one. come up with it. You're the first one that's, that's <laughs> spreading this nonsense. That's just you with, with that no, hate that you, you have. You have this smoking. weird irrational thing about it. It's so irrational. Do I bust your chops about the fucking Diet Coke every day? Do you know how bad that is? That's as bad as fucking smoking. Well, you know what, and You though? cannot deny that. It might be, but guess <laughs> what? When I drink this, it doesn't affect anybody around me cigarette smoke secondhand smoke. my shit does yeah it does secondhand smoke kills and it stinks oh does it stink is yes, it stinky it for you you it, don't yeah. like it yes i don't you you dude it does you and and b i don't smoke i don't blow my smoke in people's fucking faces yeah but it doesn't matter you could be 10 feet away you can still smell it oh stop it just saying stop it Sad. I'm going to go on a Diet Coke rant. You want me to go on a Diet go Coke for rant it. for the next 30 minutes for about it. how terrible that shit is for you? It does, I'm, I'm talking about Pop tarts, around you. Cupcakes, I'm not the shit there, that you eat like a 12-year-old. What are we about, talking like, about? Your health. I'm talking about affecting the people around you. If I drank Diet Coke and every time I took a sip, I spit it at everybody, then yeah, then some yeah. people around me would have something to bitch about. Now you're talking like a 12-year-old. Stop it. Oh, here we go. This, this, is, our, this is our first on-air argument. This is our first lover's quarrel. Uh, you know, I just no, it you. isn't. You know, I'm just fucking with you. All right. Uh, let's see. Any chance you guys could ever get Daniel Farrens on for an interview to talk about Halloween 6 as well as his other films? Daniel is a friend. You know, I, I would think Chris and I not being the biggest fans of Halloween six might not be the best guys to interview him about it. However, though, you know, in his defense, <laughs> in his defense, you know, he didn't make the movie. He just wrote the script and they did what they did. So we could talk about having Daniel on. He's a great guy and he's done a lot of stuff. So yeah, we'll talk about it. Like, like we said, we got a huge, wait, huge, huge. I was list. waiting for that. <laughs> Danny rolling ghost face. Okay. That's a Danny rolling ghost face. Dude, it would be cool to hear from actor Stu Charno, a.k.a. the guy from the movies Friday 13th Part 2, Christine Sleepwalkers, or actor Courtney Gaines from Children of the Corn, Back to the Future, The Burbs, just saying. Also, mm -hmm. Stu Mocker was my favorite GFK, and it would have been epic in his family from... Wait, hold on. Stu Mocker. Oh, wait. Is Stu, oh, Stu... Oh, Okay, Stu Mocker is Matthew Lillard's character in Scream. Gotcha. You know, people put this stuff and they, they assume immediately we know everything. Right. Yeah. Which, you know, right. we appreciate you think we're that knowledgeable. Yeah. And it did come to me. The old gears went... Ch -ch 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 -ch. It did. Wouldn't have um, never come to me. Stu Mocker was my favorite GFK ghost face killer. 
And it would have been epic if his family from the movie Serial Mom would have made a cameo appearance in Scream. And I still say there should be a Serial Mom sequel with the same cast. Ace Hanny, I know Ace, good guy, said slam dunk once again. Chris Nelson was hammered. Loved it. What was in the cup? <laughs> I don't think I was hammered. You might have Which been. episode are we talking about? I'm assuming this is in regards to Matthew Lillard. Oh, I don't do, I wouldn't do this hammered. I couldn't do it hammered. I've mentioned this before. I have a torn rotator cuff in two places in my shoulder and it gives me a tremendous amount of pain. So on occasion, not often, I'll take a, I'll take a painkiller to alleviate some of that with an ibuprofen. And sometimes it might make me a little loopy, might make me a little loopy and then combo that with being a tired being tired guy and talking for you know how hard it is to talk for fucking three four hours it's really difficult i would never get ripped doing this i couldn't do it if i was ripped are you kidding me sean knows what i'm like when i'm ripped i i couldn't do this i think you'd be more entertaining really um, <laughs> you're pretty fucking funny when you're hammered um <laughs> all right well then i guess I mean, from after this show on i'm gonna get ripped <laughs> i mean you're already funny but you're funny Erwin. uh james crane said since you guys are both fans of sackhead jason from part two what are your yeah. thoughts on the town that dreaded sundown look sacks unite yeah, you know me. I'm always, I always have my sack handy. You're, you're oh! about the sack. I'm surprised by the way, yours isn't. So, to sponsored by. No, I'm kidding. By. I'm surprised <laughs> yours isn't covered in powder over there. How do you know it's not? Boom. Um, what was the question? What are your thoughts on the town that dreaded sundown? Do you think that the Phantom Killer was an influence on the look of Jason Voorhees in Friday the 13th Part 2? Absolutely. Sure. I mean, it's the exact same look. Yeah. I mean, what, minus one eye hole? Right. Yeah, sure. I, think, I think they probably saw that. Well, that's spooky. That could be spookier if they'd done it better. Because I think The Town of Dread Sundown is a mediocre film. I like it because it has that weird sort of documentary vibe going on. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, like, there's some corny shit. Like, that, I, I, that the, the trumpet thing with the knife. This, I'm like, what? I don't know. I like the idea. Again, it's another movie where I like the idea of it better than I like the actual film. <laughs> and I was so hoping for the remake to be killer because I thought, oh, oh yeah. did you see the remake? Uh, yeah, I saw it. Actually, I saw it before anybody. I saw a cut of it because the director of it, Alfonso, he was one of the directors on American Horror Story. When I was working on Horror Story, he had directed that and he was cutting it. And he invited us to go and look at it. And I saw it. I was so excited. And um, yeah, I was disappointed. What happened, Alfonso? I, I, I was so excited for it because I of the potential I knew it had that I actually mm -hmm. went and blind bought it, you know, like at Best Buy. I went and just bought the Blu-ray. Mm -hmm. And I got home and I was like, really? Mm -hmm. I actually like the original better than this. I thought, you know, did we get sidetracked from eddie van halen um i want it we did okay so interesting thing happened last night as we're recording this i'm still putting the finishing touches on the uh ranking episode with spencer from ice nine kills when we rank the scream franchise which will likely be put up later today which makes no difference to any of you watching this now because that'll have been a week ago but i was editing it last night and there was a bit where there was somebody who wrote in 
who suggested like 50 guests and we were kind of giving them shit at the end laughing like and the first thing you said you're like hey man i'd I'd love to have eddie van halen on the show (laughs) and i was editing that and i i I even i edited it and then i added in text saying as of the recording of this you know he had not passed away and then i'm just like god it just brings the mood down period Mm. i just cut it out because Mm. i just felt like the timing was bad and we were so jubilant, you know, right. like, Hey, yeah. Eddie man. Yeah. 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 I just, that'll come just, off a little, come off a little insensitive. Probably. Even if I put the, <laughs> even if I put the text there saying, you know, right. Disclaimer. Yeah, yeah. Now that's but, a good call, but it was, uh, no, it was just weird that you had, I mean, that was literally the day before I think he passed. You were mm-hmm. like, dude, I would love to have Eddie. He was the one person you said, Eddie Van Halen. And mm-hmm. what a bummer, man. It is such a bummer because it's a, it does, you know, like, like these things when you have somebody who influenced your generation, it's like this for anybody who's a fan of somebody that influenced you and changed your life and you looked up to or you, you know, you grew up with or, you, you know, there are so many moments over the course of the Van Halen history that are pivotal in my life that Van Halen was there, like it yeah. was playing or the, the certain album or a certain song and a certain look. And, a, you know, especially being musician, musicians and, uh, you know, you're, you, it's, there's so much influence on top of the, the musical admiration and the, and the, but, you know, it's a friend of mine said that it, Van Halen was so pitiful, pivotal and Eddie Van Halen, it was like, they're one of those bands and he was one of those guys. There was everything before Van Halen mm-hmm. and then everything after, you know what I mean? There was, they were that influential and it was, it's, it's, it's so sad. It really hit me hard because that guy was, Oh my God, I can't even, uh, Eddie Van, Van Halen, everything. I had Van Halen. It was as much as of a kiss fan as I was or a, or a horror movie fan and was a Van Halen fan up until a certain point then I kind yeah. of checked out. But, but early, you know, the first four or five albums of Van Halen are forget about it. You know? Yeah. I'd made a post when I found out, I mean, as you see behind me right up here, I have this great autographed picture of Eddie in this heyday. Um, and uh, I mean, I'm a huge fan and I also have in my garage that classic, poster of him from like the jump era where he's kind of leaning down smiling just that classic poster it's up on my up on my ceiling in my garage i have my collage of classic posters in the garage and i have a tradition every year i go to the orange county fair that's just something i've been doing since i was a little kid Uh, unfortunately this year it was canceled because of covid because it's uh, always in july the one memory that always immediately pops in my head every time I'm at the Orange County Fair is me and my buddy Ken, my my best friend since childhood. What's the ride that's kind of tilted, but it doesn't like come on? It 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 it, it kind of goes like this and just in a circle. You know the one I'm talking about. It goes. I do. I don't know what you call that. It Everyone calls move. it something. It's not a scrambler. Scrambler's a thing that spins and has the different arms, but it. It basically is a circle that's on a tilt, but it kind of does a wave thing as it goes around. Anyway, they used to have that ride there. And for years, it was always just cranking awesome rock music. And 
I remember the first time me and Kenny wrote it, soon as we got on it, just bump, bump. Bomb, bomb, <laughs> running with the devil, which we loved, came on, and we were like, "Fuck yeah!" So we were like screaming, and it was just like that moment, you know, when there's there's certain points in your life that you can remember because of a song, and that yeah. moment just sticks in my head constantly of you know, mm-hmm. running with the devil, and mm-hmm. the first song I ever learned on guitar uh, when I was like twelve was "You Really Got Me." You know, mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. such an easy riff. What a loss, man. Never got the chance to meet him. I never did either. I've always wanted to. I never got a chance. I saw them live countless times. I can't even tell you how many times I saw them. I never live. saw them live, which really? which haunts yeah. me because I could have gone to that reunion. What was it? 2012 or whatever. Mm-hmm. But I, I stood my ground because Michael Anthony wasn't playing bass. I was like, no. Yeah, that's a good that's, that, that's a good I, – I, I, I back you on that. I was like, it's not Van Halen without Michael Anthony. It's not Van Halen without Michael Anthony. I saw them – last time I saw them was on Jimmy Kimmel show. I have a friend of mine who was the makeup artist for the Jimmy Kimmel show, and Van Halen was playing out on Hollywood Boulevard. They put a stage on Hollywood Boulevard and blocked it off and, and – that was the that was the uh, performance where David Lee Roth split his nose open with oh, the mic. Yeah, like, uh, that was the very first song. We were we we went. Me and my buddy Kevin Wazner were standing right in front of the stage because we had an in, you know. So we're like yeah. standing right there. They came out. They started. It was it was uh, Panama. They started with Panama. So it's like dent to dent to dent to dent, and he's doing his whole thing. He's like yeah. you know zippity bop, and he's doing his <laughs> thing, and then. Cut his nose right out, blood. He just walks off stage, off the side of the stage, and the band kept playing. They just kept playing the the those bars over and over again. Looking off to the side, David Lee Ross over there, my friend Stephanie Fowler, who does makeup, like one of the blood. I saw them, I believe they put super glue on the bridge of his nose and closed it up and put a band-aid on it. And he grabbed his mic stand, came back out, did the rest of the show. It was amazing. <laughs> but that was the last time I saw him. Dude, what shitty luck, right? This is your moment to in- reintroduce yourself to the world. Yeah, <laughs> you cut yeah. your face open. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Jesus. But yeah, so sad and such a bummer. And I listened to Van Halen. Uh, yesterday, I was in the shop painting all day and I listened to every single album. I made it up to, to 1984 before I, I finished. But uh, yeah, just listen to every single album. Just such a such a shame. Such a shame. Do you have a favorite album? I have lots of favorite albums. I'm I'm partial to uh, um, um, means uh, what's uh, um, Diver Down. No, no, no. Fair warning. Fair warning. Fair warning. I'm I'm partial to that one. It's darker. It's weirder. It's it's got Unchained on it, which is my all time favorite Van Halen song. Yeah. Is Unchained. Um, so. I, I'm partial to that. Van Halen one and two are great. Van Halen one, obviously. I even like Women and Children first, which is you know, Diver Down's mostly covers. I think the the whole second side of that, yeah, is covers. Yeah, <laughs> um, but there's some good songs on Diver Down. I wish it had all original material, but that was a good time. But uh, yeah, I'd say Fair Warning's my favorite. I think I have to go with Van Halen one, just because uh, mm-hmm. Running with the Devil, Eruption, you know. Sure. Yeah. really got me i mean it's weird they did a lot love. of covers. It's a, a lot of covers yeah that was all david lee roth wanting to be 
Did you ever read his book? No. I read his book. Oh, that's right. I know. As soon as it came out of my mouth, I went, that was a dumb question to ask. You don't read. You know, we joke about this stuff. I do I do read. He does read. I do. I was just reading. The last thing I was reading, I was just reading. There's a book on the making of the elder. There's somebody wrote a book on the whole Kiss album, The Elder. I've been reading yeah. that. Um, but what about his book? His book is like, it, it, it's so David Lee Roth. It, it, you can't even, I got through it all. It was really difficult. But it's like David Lee Roth. It's like, all right, chapter one. Well, back in the 1973 when we were playing Burbank, but hey, kitty cat teacups, and I don't like broccoli, but I put them in my juice because the sky is gray. My car <laughs> wheels are turning, but the clowns are still getting out of the trunk. And you're like all over, and you're going, what the fuck is he talking about? Like, none of this makes any sense. There's no rational thought through any of it. You know, and I don't know if it's because of the drugs or if he's just crazy or if he's trying to be so entertaining, you know, that he's just so all over the place. Ding. He's a professional. How are you, sir? Good. How are you? I'm good. Thank you for coming here. Cheers. <laughs> a little seltzer water here. Got a little bottle yeah, of water there. Bottle of water. Cheers, cheers. So let's let's talk about the big question lately is so what have you been doing during this weird time and what do you do to to keep yourself sane and busy and happy as happy as i can be in this um well like everybody it's a bit of a trial some of the my go-to's one main go-to I've kind of found that I am unable to do, and that's read. Mm-hmm. You know, it used to be like, well, got some time, get a good book, and just kind of immerse myself in another world or an idea or a time in history. And I just find that my brain is too anxious to really get to the place where I can just kind of relax. I find myself sometimes while I'm watching TV, I look down and notice that my leg is fidgeting. Like, so clearly I'm not at rest. I used to go for a lot of walks, but now with the fires and the residue of the fires all around me, um, you know, the air is bad. Mm -hmm. So for the last three or four weeks, it's been really, that's been taken away from me. Uh, it's kind of a, I was in prison and now I'm in solitary confinement. Um, <laughs> that's getting better, I hope. I hope. I'm glad about that baseball <laughs> is there mm-hmm. so that I can just sort of, okay, cardboard cutouts, phony noise of crowd, but <laughs> still, I can immerse myself in a game and escape. Yeah, I feel the same way about football and basketball. I've been, it's been so nice to have a regular Sunday, get up, watch the games, just chill. Yeah, if it's not baseball now, it's it's some football. Those are my two main sports. So at least I have I have that. I have crossword puzzles. My daughter's been here. One of my daughters, and so that's been a 
bit of a comfort that she's here and one more person to kind of bond with and be with and go through this with. I really got into streaming some new, some series, you know, yeah. on like- Any suggestions? Like suggestions, good stuff, found some good stuff? Well, you know, I'm a big fan and have been for a long time of all of the Michael Connelly novels. Mm -hmm. uh, Hieronymus Bosch. Uh, I don't know if you've read any of those books. They're really quite enjoyable. Uh, many years ago, I picked up one as a lark and I really liked it. And then I was fairly early on in his writing career. He used to be a um, uh journalist, reporter for the LA Times, and he started writing crime novels based in LA. So he created this character, Hieronymus Bosch, everybody calls him Harry Bosch, and he's a homicide loner detective, LAPD, but ruthless, uh, relentless, I should say, in his pursuit of justice and, you know, the bad guy. And uh, they're, very, they're nice yarns mixed with a lot of, um, oh, oh, I know where that's at. I know exactly where that's at, kind of, mm. sort of. Uh, are they period? Are they like a noir type of, like a, well, that kind of vibe? They're in that ilk, but, well, you know, he's been writing it for about 20 years. So at, at this point, they are kind of period. Uh, but when he started, they, they weren't. I mean, Bosch was a, a, a tunnel rat in Vietnam. He was a orphan. His mother was a, a prostitute who was killed in an alley in Hollywood. He became a foster child. His father was not in the mix at all. Joined the army, went to Vietnam, came back, joined the LAPD, moved up to be a homicide detective. And so he's got this deep-seated need to find justice. His mother's murderer was never found. Mm. So he's got this incomplete, you know, thing inside of him. And so manifests his work with that. And he was a chain smoker and a, a loner, likes to listen to jazz, lives a house on stilts in like the Coyga Pass that... He got the seed money for that by selling the rights to one of his cases that he solved to the movies. So it's all very noir in, in that way, uh, but sort of updated. And then as time went by, you know, well, like it wasn't so cool for him to be smoking. Mm -hmm. So that was taken away. And then, <laughs> so, you know, he's had to go through kind of an evolution, just mm. like all of us have with that. And then when the series came along. What's the series called? Bosch. Bosch, okay. On Amazon Prime. So what they did when the series came along is they updated it. And I mean, I heard this through the grapevine. They updated it, made it more modern. It wasn't Vietnam. It was, you know. Uh, Iraq or something. Iraq, exactly. And, and, and so that really turned me off. Mm -hmm. I, I was very possessive of the character. Mm -hmm. I was like. I would rather keep my image of him than be disappointed mm -hmm. somebody mm -hmm. else's version of it. So I really balked for a long time at going into this series. Mm -hmm. I, I was sort of 
Mm, I don't think so. My daughter came. We were looking for something. I went, okay, let's try that. She hooked me up to Amazon Prime, and we just gobbled it. And hmm. I so uh, you like it? Yeah, I really, I really like it, and I think that the actor Titus Welliver really does play the music well of who hmm. Bosch is. Hits all of the melancholy. Good actor. Yeah, and uh, and I came in skeptical. So another thing about the series that really kind of blew me away is the executive producer, Eric Overmeyer. Uh, I worked with in theater in Portland, Oregon, back in 1977. Wow. For a summer, we did two shows together. He directed one of them. Uh, he acted in them. Uh, so it's, it's, it's very strange when you, you yeah. people's trajectories, you know. So, Have you had yeah. any contact with him since then? I mean, do you still know him? Uh, yeah, I, 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 I DM'd him and, and, and told him, you know, how much I was enjoying the series and, and all of that. And he really appreciated that. You know, one of the things in the series is as time went on, Bosch uh, had a daughter, uh, you know, and she's kind of a, in her late 20s and at the point of the series beginning. So there's this real, she lives with them and there's this real father-daughter motif going on. And, and here I am with my daughter, you mm -hmm. know. Mm -hmm. So I, I sort of expressed that to Eric as well. And, and so, you know, yeah. You know, but I'm not a kind of guy who says, hey, by the way, and why don't you hire me? Mm -hmm. right. <laughs> I, I, I figure if, 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 if Eric, uh, is inclined to do that, he will. But I, mm. I, I don't tend to be the guy who bugs people about that stuff. Come that. on, Eric. Let's get him on the show. All right. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. It sounds like a really rich character. It's shot and really well. Beautifully it, shot, and uh, character development's really good, and mm -hmm. corruption in the LAPD, and in politics, mm -hmm. and grimy, ugly side of LA. It's which is hard to, which is hard for me to watch because I live, you know, living in LA. I know the grimy side. I don't want to see a show about it. It's like, ah, oh God. But I like the idea of if they would have stuck to the books or the the noir, the the more period stuff. It's very, yeah. I would have too. On but the other I'll hand, give it a shot. That, yeah, that stuff has to be sort of updated so that it's more relevant to a lot of people. I love noir. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. The way it's shot, that German expressionism kind of you know, light and dark and slants and shadow and light uh, and and the melancholy of it all, the kind of cynicism, you know, I sort of feel like noir came out of a kind of a, you know, they didn't call it PTSD in those days, but a lot of those guys that came home from World War II were kind of broken mm -hmm. and hurt, hurting, and they didn't know really how to express it. And I just sort of thought, think that noir kind of expressed that. Yeah. In a lot of ways. Well, it was de definitely visually representation of what they were all feeling inside and how they viewed the world. Yeah. Well, exactly. And it, it's sort of interesting also that a lot of that the visual of noir was brought from Germany. Yeah. Yeah. from a lot of cinematographers and directors mm -hmm. that had come out of World War One, mm -hmm. And this, 
this this technology and their own emotional kind of blend to sort of express their own ennui visually. Mm-hmm. And then that's transported to us and we we embrace it in our own way. Yeah, kind of like when, you know, the original Frankenstein and Bride of Frankenstein was all very German expressionism, very heavily influenced. There you go. Yeah. Uh, and also it comes out of necessity. I remember doing a movie with uh, William Malone, wonderful horror director, and there was a, a scene where uh, at the end of the hall was a, a stairway going down. We were like, you're on the second floor. And all they did was, of course, there is no stairway. What they did, they put a stair rail and then a light through those rails that shined up on the wall and just fills space Mm -hmm. and conveys that there's something there uh, very cheaply and effectively. Parasomnia. Parasomnia, that's right. Parasomnia. You know, I didn't see parasomnia. I never saw it. Yeah, it's good. It's uh, surreal and... uh, kind of hallucinogenic at times, disturbing. Bill's uh, had some freedom in it. It has a lot of his imagery in it. Uh, and a lot of his, uh, you know, every director has their own sort of bag of um, issues or images that arrest them and that they tend to uh, kind of go back to. And and, and um, that's it. Parasoni is a bit of a heartbreaking story for, for Bill because he... Uh, he basically uh, financed that movie himself hmm. and he did it and he, and he made it. And the intent was, I will uh, sell this mm-hmm. obviously. And then the economic downturn happened in 2009. And uh, as you guys know, all of a sudden our industry was, uh, Oh, you want to sell a movie? Well, you know, it's, it's dime to the dollar now. Mm-hmm. And so, that really hit him hard because he had a plan <laughs> mm-hmm. and it was a good one and he saw it through until the finished product and then it was like there were no buyers at the price that could help him recoup. Mm-hmm. Now I'm wondering if he financed it himself, did he do that with the money he made from selling Robbie the Robot or did he sell Robbie the Robot because he needed the money because he lost all the money financing that movie? He sold Robbie the Robot many years later. Okay. Because <laughs> I know he made a mint on that sucker. Yeah. <laughs> yes, he did. I have a question for you. Do you have just, it comes to my mind in talking to this, do you have a, a film that is your favorite that you've done, not so much experience-wise, but more as a film, looking at it from an outside perspective, taking yourself out of it and looking at the film as a whole? Do you have one that you that you like, that you have a favorite? You know, that's a good question because there are films that I like because of the experience of making it, as opposed to how well it turned out or the memories that it brought me. I mean, I made a number of movies in Italy and most of them aren't to me as good as others, but damn, I was in Rome for a while. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? yeah. So when I think of that movie, I think of, the experience of making it then rather than how it turned out. But there are a handful, any actor will tell you this, there's a handful of films that you truly feel were of a piece. It's really hard. It's a collaborative art. Mm -hmm. So many pieces have to come together 
for it to be fully realized and anything can trip you up. You can have a great movie and like crappy music. You can have a great movie and like your editor is not so strong mm -hmm. uh, or there's a, uh, a weak performance or, you know, it's just yeah. so many or a studio or a studio doesn't get behind it or, or they it don't understand get, it and don't know how to promote it properly. Right. They put it yeah. out at the wrong time or yeah. all, all of these factors. So, I mean, right out of the gate for me, reanimator mm -hmm. was such a magical, remarkable convergence of really good choices and people in the right places making the right decisions that's so rare. Mm -hmm. and I didn't even realize it at the time. Uh, just all the pieces fit. Casting, editing, music, decisions. Uh, and who would you say was the captain of that ship that made all that happen? Do you think, was it Stuart? Well, Stuart was certainly the uh, the, the, the driving force of telling, for instance, what he wanted from all the special effects guys. Mm -hmm. And no, that's not quite what I want. Being really, really clear and articulate about his vision. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, you can't be vague about that stuff because that's, you have to be really on it, I think, as a director. And uh, so that was really great. I also, though, he was a first time director. And I think that on set, he didn't quite, and I'm not saying this from a point of view that I did and he didn't, because I didn't either, but I did witness like screen direction was a confusing thing for him um, at times. He's a quick learner, but he had Mac Albert. He had Mac, the great cinematographer, Mac Albert, Shot a lot of movies for Charlie Band and always beautifully lit. And uh, but Mac was there to say, mm, "That's that's not going to help your editor." Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, uh, I remember some arguments about we're good. I shot that and that and that, and we can move on. And Mac saying. I remember vividly saying him saying to Stuart, Stuart, your editor will hate you. <laughs> <laughs> and um, so that's a that's a happy accident that yeah. you had somebody in that with a firm hand and knowledge, because Stuart will, sometimes was adamant about his opinion and needed some challenge back at him. I do remember standing next to Mac. He's, he's looking in the like, camera lens, uh, setting up a shot. And I'm just kind of standing next to him. And he pulled his eye away from the lens. And he just said kind of him, to himself, maybe to me, he said, I think this movie will be pretty good. <laughs> That's great. And I said, what? What? You do? And um, he was right. Uh, I mean, that's another one that, you know, it's a testament to the cast, too. I mean, because it's just such a great cast. I mean, David well, and Dale and Barbara and 
That's a testament to Stuart, though. Stuart came out of the theater and he knew actors and he knew, like, it's like putting a band together, you know? Who's Mm -hmm. on bass? Who's playing? Who's playing rhythm? Who's on the organ? And uh, I need a horn section. And I know some, you know, he, he knew good when he saw it. And, and, and so that's a testament to Stuart's choices. Mm-hmm. It's all about choices. And mm-hmm. so there's Reanimator, uh, Frighteners. Mm. Frighteners, pretty damn fine film. Yeah, I have a Very question about it. that. I love that movie. I'm a huge <laughs> fan of Frighteners. I think it's great. And I, yeah. My curious, I was lying in bed last night thinking about all these things I wanted to say, and I know we have a lot to cover, but uh, just I, I'm curious that your character is so, to be honestly, and I'm not blowing smoke, your character is my favorite character in that film. I mean, it's, it's my favorite thing of that movie. It's so rich and cool and weird and unique and strange and and well acted and such a a a character like a rich character that you get like i got that character a lot and i was curious as to where did you find that guy what was the inspiration for that character my agents pitched me much earlier in the audition process and i was turned down for an audition because i was too young for what Peter was looking for. I didn't know that, I found that out later. And so they went all over, you know, through a lot of people and they didn't, weren't finding what Peter was kind of looking for. So uh, maybe out of, uh, uh, let's go farther afield, I did get to audition for it. And the really lucky aspect of that is that I had a week with the material. I don't know if you guys know, but usually actors, TV, (laughs) film, and it's gotten worse over the years. It's like, uh, you have an audition. Uh, It's five o'clock in the afternoon. You have to be there tomorrow at 1130. I'm sending you the 10 fucking pages now. Yeah. (laughs) This is counterproductive to doing a good audition. I'm sorry. It's like ridiculous. But with this one, I had a week with a lot of material. As I recall, it was the interrogation scene with Michael J. Fox. Mm-hmm. Uh, a, lot of, a lot of verbiage there. And I worked my, I, I immediately saw how lovely this dialogue was. So I worked on it for a week and I went in there and guys, I did everything wrong. I went in with uh, choices, like I wore glasses, uh, I didn't shave for a few days. Um, just not everything not, opposite of what it turned out to be. Not what you see <laughs> on film, particularly at all. Right. Some neuroticism going on, but not what you see. So I read it, and Peter gave me some notes. He basically said. I don't want you to look at them. If you do look at them, it's, it's fleeting and you're away. You, you can't look at people. I can play that. I, I get that. Okay. No, of course. Uh, and he said, attack and retreat. Attack and retreat. And uh, I can play these things. I, I knew exactly what he kind of 
was getting at. And so that's what I did. I hooked into that right away. I'm not always capable of doing that, but in that, in that particular one, I, I could. And, uh, you know, it wasn't like I got the part right away. There's a whole, everybody's got to see the tape and everybody's got to sign off and, you know, the studio and Robert Zemeckis and blah, blah, blah. It kept looking like I'm still in the mix. I'm still in the mix. You got the part. So <laughs> I was totally elated. So, so I went down to New Zealand just to read the scenes uh, in front of uh, Fran and, and Peter and, and the rest of the cast. They flew us down there for like basically table reading before we ever shot. And so that was another place where Peter and I could kind of uh, talk through this and and, and, and we just gelled. It was a collaboration. Uh, how he looks and, and everything, that was kind of me. I, I, uh, there were definite things that Peter brought to the table. He wanted him to have black eyes. Like the dilated, not going to contract, uh, kind of really spooky eyes and contact lenses and all that stuff. So... I brought to the table, I went to the New Zealand library in mm -hmm. uh, Wellington, mm -hmm. Wellington Library, and I brought back to Peter a book of, a pictor, picture book of, of all things, Young Hitler. <laughs> and I showed him a picture of Hitler's haircut, you know, that kind of thing. Now, okay, I'm an FBI agent, but I'm an undercover FBI agent. So I was thinking maybe the place that I was at before I was called in to investigate this ghost phenomenon, maybe I'm in a fucking neo-Nazi cult undercover. Mm. And so, you know, it's pretty obscure. Yeah. But, I, <laughs> but, but, but I was looking for something that conveyed kind of, when you are so patriotic, to a country or a flag as we have a lot of this right now you are really go into national you go into this place of uh complete uh blind allegiance you'll do anything for your country to the point of self-destruction and i just sort of thought that dammers was really should have not been doing what he's doing for about mm. Mm, maybe 10 years. Uh, mm. You know, pulling that, uh, my, my shirt open with all those scars on my body. Uh, this is evidence of, of just destroying yourself <laughs> in mm -hmm. the name of country. And, and so I just thought he's just damaged goods. Right. It's just broken. Well, it definitely comes across that way. That that, that character, you, you, there was a history there. There yeah. was a, a there was a pathology to it, and where he just was, and 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 severe. not the guy that should be doing this. You know, right. it's yeah. kind of like yeah. the the cop that comes in, and you immediately go, "Okay, okay, this is this is the wrong guy. Yeah. <laughs> this yeah. guy needs help, and he's yeah. supposed to help me. Yeah. Uh, we got problems." Uh, so highly collaborative with Peter, highly collaborative. So he immediately went, yeah, I like that hair. It's like, oh, shit. 
Okay. <laughs> um, just making choices with Peter. I put things behind my ears to make them stick out so, so that the frightening hair might be offset with a little bit of buffoonery. Uh, just trying to... Find would be an, in, an insecurity of his, wouldn't it? Technically, it would all be... All of that. You know, yeah. And those insecurities are actually what drove him to do what he's done for Gotten Country here. You know, he's mm -hmm. now an absolute mess and doesn't mm -hmm. know it. Mm -hmm. And um, so we just had a great, good time. And it was one of the most collaborative experiences I've ever had with a director. So generous and so trusting, Peter was. That's great. And Wellington's an amazing place. I've been to oh. Wellington and it's beautiful. It's amazing. And the people uh, are amazing. Yeah. I got to spend a lovely three times I went down there and spent good chunks of time and I just fell in love with that place. Mm -hmm. I still think of it today. Mm -hmm. I've had their beef, but I've never been there. You mean their lamb? <laughs> the lamb Wellington? Oh, beef Wellington. Beef is see what he did there? That's not that Wellington was a the Duke of Wellington. Uh, so I'm, I'm being silly. I know you are. I've never been to Wellington. One of these days I'll get there. Yeah. It's a great place. Windy Wellington. Um, so we have some questions from fans. Love uh, it. Chris just stole one of them. That was. Oh, sorry. So you can apologize to Frankie Pozos who wanted to know what his inspiration <laughs> was for creating Milton and the haircut. And you covered it. But he also had a little note. He wanted to say Nevermore is still the best show I've ever seen. Poe's birthday was only a couple of days ago. So Poe thanks you for that. <laughs> 410 Goodfella. Now these are these weird little, you know, they're little online names. He said, I'd love to ask Jeffrey Combs about his experience on House on Haunted Hill. I watch it every October and always get creeped out by his performance as Vanicut. I'd love to hear any memories he has from the set if possible. Well, a couple of things about House on Haunted Hill. It was a godsend for me, you know, because I always think of these things in terms of where I was in my life. I had just then put everything I could into buying this house. It's, it's a modest little place, but it's mine. And 20 some odd years ago, uh, my wife, my pregnant wife and I had moved in. And I had no money and kind of anxious about ah, this, this decision, but I, I had to make it and I, the phone rang and it was an offer and it was a generous offer mm. for three days work. And I went, bless William Malone. Because the story he told me is they handed him a list and said, these people have all been pre-approved to do this role by the studio. <laughs> I'm sorry, but you know, really? Um, and um, thankfully, my name was on it. Nice. And without hesitation, he went, Jeff Combs. Because I had worked with Bill uh, once before. We did a uh, an episode of uh, a short-lived uh, 
series on Showtime called Perversions of Science. Mm -hmm. I remember that. And, and there was an episode I was in, Exile, with like, you know, Ron Perlman, David Warner, Jeff Corey, the great older actor. He was like in his 80s then. Uh, you know, this was a really wonderful little, like, sort of really dark, sort of Twilight zone kind of piece. And Bill and I got along great with that. And, and uh, so it just kind of saved me. I had no lines. I had no lines. Let's scratch that. I had one line, and they chose to like cut it. I don't remember what it was. It was like one word, maybe, that I yelled. So here I am, three days, nicely paid. It was, it was a miracle. And um, okay, on set, the the scene of. Um, where I come out all quirky and moving and pull up that knife and, you know, all of that. How Bill shot that was people have emulated that and copied that. And it, it, what he did was, is this is in the era of film. So he, he said, Jeff, this is what I want you to do. I want you to uh, walk in slow motion, really, really slow, really, really slow. Uh, my reference was the old NFL films mm -hmm. where they like, you know, they, they just slow everything down. <laughs> yeah. and, uh, and, and so that's what I did. And meanwhile, the camera is going, I mean, they are burning film. Mm -hmm. But that's how you get slow motion on film. Mm -hmm. And so it came out just so icky. It just, Bill knew that that, that, that was just a disturbing kind of uh, uh, frightening kind of imagery. And uh, mm -hmm. to this day, it's, really geeks people out. They just mm -hmm. ick out on that one. And so I really had a great time <laughs> sort of icking it out with Bill. That was a, we did that, we, we, that came from Jacob's Ladder, that, that, that technique. Yeah. The movie called Jacob's Ladder with yeah, Tim it. Robbins. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but, Bill, but Malone did it. I did a Malone show. It was called The Others that he directed. It was a series brief. And, right. And we, yeah. We did these weird guys with these strange faces, and they were naked, painted all white, and we would shoot them like that, really slow motion, and he'd make them go like this, right, like super slow, and then with that speed, it's camera, processed, and then when it comes out, it's all like, bah, rah, rah. it's this weird thing. Yeah. So uh, you know, he loves to play with his technical yeah. toys like that to create alternative realities in a yeah. does it very effectively parasomnia has a lot of that too um mm -hmm. a lot of imagery that's off putting which is exactly what he wants to do i need to watch parasomnia I, I i always meant to watch it but i never picked up a copy so i have to see if i, I think I, I, I think you'll like it i think you'll like it brandon peterson said uh if may i ask uh, no <laughs> what <laughs> 
what's a project or job that you were passionate about that fell apart before production or was passed on? Was, is there anything that, that you, that you were like super excited to do? Well, I would think maybe the Poe film would be one of them, but yeah, that's been a real uh, disappointment for me for years. Uh, a lot of fits and starts, mostly fits a lot of uh, disappointment and um, just so everybody knows, I, uh, I, I did an episode of uh, Masters of Horror where I played Poe, the black cat. And while we were shooting it, Stuart said, you ought to do a one man show with this. I was really resistant. He persisted for a year and a half and I finally went fine. What would that be? And we wound up doing a one man show of Poe that, that ran in LA was a, a four week run ran into like off and on years at a theater in LA. And I have uh, taken it, you know, across the country to different places, uh, Boston, Austin, Montreal, Nashville, San Diego, uh, New York, uh, Baltimore for his bicentennial. It's, it's just, you know, uh, and at one point we said, we want to make a, a film of this. We'd like to make a film of it. Actually, the one who really was a driving force in that was Darren Scott. Oh, who Darren. just came, he's a lovely guy, a good friend of mine. Uh, His movie just came, just came out, out Tales from Tales the Hood, Hood 3. Yeah. I know, and I'm happy for him for that. Well-deserved, he should work more. And he came to me with this, we should do a Kickstarter campaign, but this was when Kickstarter was like, you know, a hot new way to get something made. I like that idea. And I took it to Stuart and he kind of liked it too with his own bent, bent on things. Mm -hmm. uh, he, uh, he didn't want, Stuart did not want to uh, just film the stage show. He wanted to, Rightly, he's a director. He wanted to blow it out into a full-fledged movie where you 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 go into these, you know. Basically, my my one-man show is a recital. Poe recites poems. He, I, I read a story, uh, but you also he talks about his life and his loves and his losses and his grievances. And uh, so Stuart wanted to go into those stories, go into those poems, go away from the the stage into those worlds. Well, that makes sense. Of course, it also makes you have to raise a lot more money. Yeah. Because you're not just in a theater now, you are going to locations and building sets and uh, it's, it's a whole other thing. So that drove up our asking price on Kickstarter. We tried to like say, well, let's just kind of get enough money, ask enough money so that we can film the stage show. Let's just do that. And Stuart refused halfway measures. Uh, no, uh, we're going we're gonna to ask for this amount of money and we'll get it. Well, we didn't get it. Uh, we didn't get it because we were really rubes when it came to Kickstarter, none of us were really tech savvy or how to do that. We also learned a really hard lesson. Uh, you know, Stuart, me, 
And if it were Lovecraft, uh, I, I don't think it would have been an issue. Hmm. But we wrongly assumed that Poe would be the same. Hmm. And what we learned is, is that uh, Lovecraft has a whole pop culture kind of vibe going on. Mm-hmm. And Poe's more literary and doesn't have quite that same kind of enthusiasm out there. kind of does now, though, not to interrupt you, sorry, but it, now it, it's gained a lot of, I guess, for lack of a better term, like you say, pop or hipster kind, oh. of, kind of traction now. I see so much of it now, Poe references and Poe. Uh, uh, illustration and Poe graphics and Poe. It's like it's it's become a very popular. I, I've, I've noticed that too. But what we're talking about then, not now. Right, right, right. And and so we fell short. We didn't. We didn't. We made a goodly amount of of uh, donations, but not near what we what we needed to. So that that sort of fell apart. And. Uh, and so it's been, there's been other nibbles, other companies that have come along and wanted to do it. And then it just never quite ever, that plane never got off the ground again. And so that's been a real disappointment for me. I think that's the big one. The, the other one was I would have loved to have done one more reanimator uh, movie. Still a chance, right? No? <laughs> I suppose. Without Stewart, I mean, does it feel like, do you feel that it's not right to do it without him? Or or if there was a good enough script and the right people behind me, look, they're making a fifth scream and it's the first one Wes isn't involved in. Stewart only did the first one. And Mm -hmm. there's there's Bride and there's Beyond Reanimator, both of them directed by Brian Usna, who produced them. Stewart could have directed the second one. Strangely enough, he opted not to. The story I heard was that his agent said, listen, if you want to expand your career, directors don't do sequels. <laughs> was sort of the, uh, was sort of the uh, argument mm. put forth. And, uh, and come to think of it, Stuart never did do a sequel to anything did he i can't think of anything no no i never did mm-hmm. so oh, that's our loss i think because boy Stuart, you know Stuart has a voice and uh and a point of view that's captivating and powerful and uh sometimes shocking he just chose not to do it however he was coming back to the fold with with house of reanimator which was a really kind of good story, a, a, a progression where things are going wrong in the White House, the house, and uh, somebody's dead. A leader is dead and they can't be dead. What can we do? Man, there's nothing know. more timely than this right now. <laughs> yeah, this was, this was during the time of uh, Bush, Cheney, and all of that. And Stewart was... Oh, really, really upset about this. And, and so, you know, his take on it was, it's going to be Bush, and he's going to be Cheney, and we're going to humiliate them. And, <laughs> and, and, and okay, that, that's okay. But 
you know, my argument was like Dr. Strangelove. Dr. Strangelove uh, really pokes a finger in power and absolute power corrupting absolutely and all of that. However, it wasn't on the nose. Yeah. And, and it wasn't, um, it wasn't overtly specifically political. And when has reanimator been that anyway? Right. So, so to me, it was kind of like, boy, if we do get green lit for this, you know, we're, we're, we're going to, alienate a percentage of our audience like this when we never did that before mm-hmm. and and frankly it never got made i think because producers and money people probably said the same thing but True. stewart was adamant in like not adjusting not taking that in um, there's something a very 60s radical about stewart <laughs> Mm-hmm. Once he had an idea and 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 his dander was up, uh, you know, he was forthright in his belief. Was there a and script? So, oh yeah. Who wrote it? Did Stuart write it? Who wrote it? Yeah, I think Stuart had was in. I'm trying to remember who actually wrote, but I, Dennis Paoli, I think, was mm-hmm. definitely in the mix there. Uh, so so that one crashed and burned. You think he but, could do that now, now considering the the, the the world we live in and how polarized we are and how, how yeah, but I, we are? And how, yeah. I, you know, one of the last, bless his heart, but one of the last uh, conversations I had with Stuart is that he kind of admitted to this. I don't think he remembered that I was advocating for it, strangely. But he did say, you know, I think it was wrong about that. I think we should have done it. I think we should have done House more like, I don't know, Dr. Strangelove. And I, I was like, <laughs> I was like in a restaurant with him and I almost went. <laughs> but I didn't say anything. So, uh, he did come around, but because I think you can make your point without it being. Also, I think it, my argument also was that it stands the test of time that way. You know, the movie has got to be relevant in a in a, in, a, in a, an overall way instead of a like contemporary right now kind of situation. Right. So, um, so we did come around to it, but uh, you know. Well, this actually kind of goes into someone else's question. I would still love to see House of Reanimator get made. I think it would be more relevant now yeah. than ever. Um, yeah, and you I could agree. have some fun with that. Absolutely. Um, but Bad Blood's Trophy Room, <laughs> that's the name, Bad Blood's Trophy Room. Okay, Bad Blood's Trophy Room. Say that 20 times fast. He said, uh, <laughs> his question for Jeffrey Combs, do you think Reanimator should get a reboot? I know the answer to that. Just say it, Jeff. You know what you you know what you're thinking. <laughs> Good luck. <laughs> <laughs> that says it all right, yeah. right there. That's like you can't can't get a better answer than no, that. <laughs> I want a sequel. I don't want a reboot. No. Um a reboot is sort of the you know, obvious 
studio. Well, yeah, we can make it work. Yeah. You know, kind of thing. You know, first of all, <laughs> Reanimator was in the era of practical effects. Mm-hmm. Absolutely no CGI. And it's held up the test of time. You look at some of the movies that were made when CGI first became the new tool in the, in the, in the toolbox and everybody was like over the top using it. You look at those movies now and you go, boom, whoa, ouch, that's hokey, right? Um, If Reanimator had been, I mean, that's part of the fun of Reanimator is that it is all magic tricks, illusion, practical. There, there are no computerized images right. going on there. Of course, that's the first thing that a studio is going to do. So they're going to go, we're going to just jazz this thing up and make it spectacular and visually this and cut quick and fast and fly around and cut, 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 and woo, yeah. You know, and it's like, what a mess. Because really at the heart of it, Reanimator is character driven. Mm -hmm. It's not special effects driven, it's Mm -hmm. character driven. Well, there's special effects in there. There's some clever visual tricks. But Stewart was a storyteller first and foremost before a uh, gag fest guy. It was, you have to care about these characters before they, they go on their journey so that you have an emotional investment in it. And I think that a lot of the time studios just, uh, they, don't, they don't get that. It's like, you know, formulaic, we got to have a goose here. We got to have a goose there. And then whoa, we're three minutes in. Let's say, you know, it doesn't work that way, really. It's like you're trying to, uh, and everything's the same. Well, it's watered down and it's formula and it's everything. Yeah. And, but I also think if you look at the, as far as the reboot, you, no one would do it because no one's got the balls to do that. That took a lot of balls, for lack of a better term, a lot of guts to make reanimated with the subject matter and what it was about and the type of movie it was. That's a, that was a gutsy movie, I think, personally. It was also, and people forget no one that. Would do that. Yeah, people forget that it was unrated. Mm-hmm. They didn't take it to the ratings board. Mm-hmm. The movie did not go to the ratings board. And when you don't take a movie to the ratings board, you really tie financially, a hand behind your back. You, 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 there are theater chains that go, we're not putting that in our theaters. There, there are newspapers, and this happened. Uh, we, you, you, if you put ads in our paper for this movie, there are no visuals you can do. I remember this. LA Times, the ads were black and white, white lettering, black background. That's all you could do. Uh, Herald Examiner, which existed at the time, you could put in the visuals. They didn't care. But, but that was all the way across the country. Mm-hmm. And, and so this movie had a real uphill climb to get exposure. Mm-hmm. And it was almost like viewed as like you're shooting yourself in the foot by not playing the game. And they just felt, look, 
if we play the game, we take this to the rating sport, they're going to say, cut this, cut that. You can't do that. Trim that. We don't want to see that. You can't do it. And it's the very things that they would have said you can't do, kind of which everybody talks about with Reanimator. You can't do the head giving head scene if you go to the radio with an R rating, even though you really don't see anything. Yeah. Right. Not really. And in fact, I remember Brian telling me, you know, we had more footage that we chose not to use because it was too much. Mm-hmm. So it's like, anyway, yeah. who's going to like, who's going to green light a movie to like frame by frame do that again? That was my point. My point is no one's got the guts to make that movie now. No, no, you just, you couldn't do it. Not the way, not, not to do it justice like that. And none of those type of movies are made that now you have to play the game before you can even make the movie whereas before you made the movie and then you (laughs) you know you 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 submitted that film and this is what we have and you had to work you know now you don't even get your foot in the door unless you agree to not do all those things that are going to make your movie great also you know we were the real bad bad boys Mm -hmm. because we did what we did yeah. We were kind of shunned, kind of thought of as oh, those guys, oh, because you know we were we were rebellious and didn't play along. I, I, you know, Reanimator did not did, but did not blow up my career in a in in a studio way at the time. It did not like get me on the big dance floor. It didn't uh, because we didn't play by the rules and we, we, we succeeded despite that, but there was sort of a ugh quality mm. going on. I have to say, you know, a, a lot of casting directors in LA are women. And a lot of women just thought that it was really misogynistic, objectifying of women, uh, just uh, tasteless. Hmm. Not all, but uh, I I certainly got an attitude, I should say, when I would go in for things from casting directors, like, you did that, huh? However, you know, people like Pauline Kael, the great film critic, picked it as one of the top 10 movies of the year. Mm. So not everybody, but it, but, 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 but it didn't like, uh, you know, how many actors, you know, did one horror movie and then all of a sudden they're in a mainstream film kind of thing. Right. And that did not, that didn't happen to me Mm. or Bruce or Barbara. It wasn't like, Oh, good actors. Let's get them. So it was kind of like, wow, this movie is really getting some really good buzz. Maybe, uh, maybe you know, this will open some doors for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can hope. Uh, oh, oh, backlash maybe. Oh, hmm. wow. But it has stood the test of time. Yeah. And it has been validated generation after generation. And I'm very proud of it should be i can't even count how many filmmakers i talk to these days of 
all kinds of new newer generation filmmakers and also older ones when i'm on a movie set directors producers dps actors who it's so funny you you say reanimator and all those people go oh it's a fucking classic i love it i learned so much about that movie i learned so much about acting i learned so much about shooting i learned so much about direct i mean that movie amongst filmmakers in the filmmaking community is considered right. a, a work of art I would also say this, it was sort of surprising to me with all of those kind of things behind it. I remember opening night of Reanimator. It opened in the Paramount Theater on Hollywood Boulevard, which is now uh, the Disney. El Capitan? El, Ca El Capitan. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I lived near there. So I walked down from my apartment in the Hollywood Hills down to Hollywood Boulevard and I turned the corner and I went, oh, there was a line of people waiting to go see Reanimator down the block and around the corner. <laughs> and I thought, despite all of the uh, obstacles, the word has gotten out. And uh, that's always been the case with Reanimator. It's been the fans. And it shows you sort of the kind of disconnect between the alchemy that that studios think versus uh, you know what pleases fans and, reality <laughs> yeah yeah and 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 Stuart Stuart is a huge part of that he had a vision a tone an approach uh, brash and fun and spot on. And uh, I wouldn't be here today without him. Well, this one, this one kind of relates to, since we're on the reanimator topic and we were talking about the effects of reanimator, Daniel P. Craig said, the reagent uh, is debated as either a fluorescent that was hit with bright lights or was rotoscoped in post. What say you, Sir Combs? You want neither. To... It was neither. It's neither. The, the reagent is a, is a natural chemical uh, derived from phosphorescent seaweed. And it, it is the same stuff that you put in glow sticks and put around children's necks. But what do you have to do before they glow? Shake them. Yeah. Break it. Yeah. Or, or shake it. Yeah. Break it. Because it's two chemicals that have to interact. What always blows my mind is uh, it's also the stuff that in murder scenes, when the uh, forensic people come in and spray for blood, it's called luminol. Ah, yeah. How long would it last? Do you remember on set? Like yeah, sure. It, it would have a glow time. Hmm. Uh, it, it, it would immediately get vibrant and then stay that way for maybe an hour. And then it would start to fade. Just start to start kind of start to diminish, but Hey, just get some more, just get some more. Hmm. Uh, it's very highly toxic. 
I mean, I remember when they were, I was around it and using it, they would just say, listen, do, if any of this gets on your hands or anything, go wash them right away. Don't, 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 don't drink it. Don't put it in your mouth. Don't do, don't do any, it's not going to hurt you that way. But if you ingest it, it's not a good thing, which really sort of blows my mind with uh, all these glow sticks that kids have, but uh, (laughs) knowing kids, you know, they're going to find a way to go, what's in there? It's in a highly concentrated form, but it's the same stuff that you'd see out on luminescent waves, you know, like glow like that. What the hell? So it's kind of a algae from the ocean. When Nay and I went to Puerto Rico, we went to the one of those bioluminescent uh, in the ocean, like a where uh-huh. you you'd move your arms and it would glow. It was right. Yeah, it was right. Pretty, pretty neat. So uh, it's it is a natural substance in high concentration. Hmm, interesting. Danny Roland Ghostface <laughs> said he has a question for you. Um, <laughs> he wanted to know what did you do to prepare or. Uh, where did you get your inspiration for your funny character from the Bigfoot horror film Abominable? Abominable. 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 <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you for that. I got that character tapping into my uncle, my dad's brother. I had an uncle, Uncle JB. He didn't look like that, but he kind of talked like that, you know? <laughs> Talk, well, yes. Hell yes. You know, so I just kind of like channeled my Uncle JB. I let my hair, my beard grow out. And I had these uh, glasses, bottle, just thick glasses. And I'd had them ever since um, I did Fortress for Stuart, a prison breakout movie. And, you know, that's a whole science thing because you know, you don't want to put thick glasses on your face like that. It's not good for your eyes to to do that. But I learned way back then that if you know what the prescription is on the plus side of the glasses, if you didn't get contact lenses with a negative side and put them in, you are back to being able to see. So that's what I did. Frank Shattuck would like to know, is there any plans to make another Would You Rather film? He said, if anything deserves a sequel, it's that one. I'm really proud of Would You Rather. You asked earlier about, you know, how many movies. And it's Would You Rather is up there. Reanimator, Frighteners, Would You Rather. A movie I did a long time ago that I really still adore. Not a horror movie actually came up on Twitter yesterday. Love and a 45. It was Renee Zellweger's second movie. Uh, Rory Cochran. It's just a great, Peter Fonda. It's just a great cast. Great soundtrack on that movie. Um, uh, And anyway, would you rather, I don't understand why it didn't get a sequel. Uh, I I, I don't get it. People like it. It, turned out so well the director but the team was so smart uh it's disturbing there was a script but um you know ifc films distributed that one and you know that'd be the first place you'd go to i think they probably own the rights to a sequel it just never went anywhere there's a script i've read it a long time ago and it was like okay well I don't understand. Again, I don't understand. 
<laughs> Tom Coombs, not Combs, hey, Coombs. Hey. Yeah. O-O-M-B-S. Yeah, that's typical Brit. Um, that's a Brit thing, yeah. Well, he wanted to know what your favorite non-Herbert West role was. I guess you just kind of listed several. So do you have a favorite out other than Herbert, who would be number two? I get questions like, what's your favorite all the time, yeah. specifically with like uh, my Star Trek stuff. I've been able to, lucky enough to recur with three different characters on Star Trek. And everybody always asks me, what's your favorite? What's your favorite? I always just kind of answer it the same way. Uh, do you have children? And they say, yeah, I have, I have three kids. I go, well, which is your favorite? <laughs> And that sort of makes them go, oh, yeah, okay, see, I see. I mean, I don't love them all. Uh, I'm, I can hit, miss the mark just like anybody, but I'm proud of the difference. That's what I would say. I'm proud that I'm not doing the same thing every time. Matthew Clark, speaking of Star Trek, Matthew Clark said, uh, would you reprise your role as, is it Sharan? Is that a Shran. Shran in Star Trek if asked? And do you have any fun stories to share in connection to working with Barbara Crampton? And final thing, are you aware you are loved by millions of fans? So is like butt shot, man. It's like <laughs> three questions. Well, the last one you knew, yeah, millions, but you knew that one, so Start with Shran. Uh, uh, I would love doing Shran again. People don't kind of realize something. It's a little complicated. Whenever someone designs a look on one of these shows, it's kind of someone kind of has the rights to that a little bit. I would be thrilled to do Shran again, but I would be reticent if all of a sudden the design for Shran for legal reasons changed. My example is, for instance, and I suspect this is the case, uh, Klingons. Why do Klingons look so different now? On the, I mean, on the new series, on the Discovery? Yes. I think, I think mainly because they were, they were going for a reboot vibe and, and kind of yeah. giving everything an update. I know the, the makeup artists for that show and, and for a lot of Star Trek stuff, I work on it sometimes, but it's, it's not a rights thing so much. It's people trying to put their own stamp and take and update it and make things look a little more realistic. I than get, I, I get it. I, I understand that. So, yeah. but, but, it, but it was a big leap. And yeah. for fans, it was jarring. Uh, wait a minute. That's not the Klingons I know. Mm-hmm. To be fair, if you ever go back into the original series and look what the Klingons look like, they're basically like, you know, g- humans with goatees. Original, original, yeah. before yeah. the foreheads. Yeah, so right. even there, there was a, a change. So I think maybe they got into the like, well, they changed them once, we can change them again. Mm-hmm. But um, I guess it's a little different when it's like an entire race and we're not like, you know, Michael Dorn's not going to be in that makeup, right? It's not going to be anybody that you're familiar with. We're, we are going to, it's going to be a whole new Klingon look, right? Mm-hmm. Therefore, we don't have to worry about it. It won't be so jarring, maybe. So if Shran came back, uh, yeah, yeah, I would just really not want to have to 
contend with, uh, he looks so different. He's gonna look some, somewhat different because I'm, I'm just older. But at the same time, you know, I don't want to be wrong for the fans to be redesigned in a way. But I, I don't really necessarily foresee it happening anyway, because in these new iterations, I'm not seeing a lot of uh, revisiting of what came before. I just don't. Do you? Uh, I'll be honest with you. I don't, I don't watch the. I don't show. watch it. I don't. Yeah. yeah, I don't watch it. So, <laughs> right. I'm very sort of loyal to the character and I protective, I suppose, and invested. And and so I guess it would be if I did do it, I'd have some questions. That's all. Any fun uh, stories to share with in connection to working with Barbara? Listen, I've worked with Barbara a number of times. She's a pro and always a happy and positive spirit. And we get along famously and we are good friends. And we have a lot of, uh, a lot of memories together uh, working on things. And uh, I so cherish her friendship and I'm really proud of what she's uh, continuing to accomplish as a as an actress and as a producer and, and uh, fun stories though. Most of the time it's work. <laughs> Most of the time we're working. I do remember once we were having lunch with Stuart in the uh, castle, shooting Castle Freak. And um, someone came up with like, well, you know, reanimator is, you know, funny. The humor in reanimator. Barbara and I kind of, yeah, you know, the humor aspect. And Stuart across the, the table went, Reanimator's not funny. We were like, well, <laughs> it's not funny. It's not, well, then why do people laugh? <laughs> um, Stuart was a, uh, a strong-willed and opinionated guy <laughs> and, and he always could amaze me with you'd think that he would say one thing and he'd say something else and that was one of them it was like uh you do know that people do find humor in reanimator but I, I think part of that came from if you notice there's not as much humor in from beyond and he did that on purpose i think maybe that the humor aspect in Reanimator might have surprised him a little bit. Mm. And I think that he wanted to convey that uh, actually I, I'm a serious director. Mm -hmm. And so maybe it had something to do with that. Mm. But Barbara and I were like, <laughs> There are some pretty damn funny moments in From Beyond though. I mean, my, oh, yeah. my, my oh, favorite yeah. line, uh, I think it, to this day, I think it might be my favorite delivery from you of all time is the, the gingerbread man line. Bit off his head. Oh my God, gingerbread man. Uh, yeah, I, I was real resistant to saying that. Yeah. I, I said that exactly the way Stuart wanted me to say it. Yeah. So. 
kudos to him for <laughs> for knowing that when I was somewhat resistant because the fucking camera was right in my face and now you want me to go even closer in there and do it that big okay um but you know that's Stuart breaking boundaries you can do it believe it commit mm. it's all about commitment with Stuart if you commit it doesn't you know yeah be, be bold if you believe it everyone else will so. exactly yeah, acting yeah. is. I just watched that movie the other night. That movie again, it's crazy. That it's movie is crazy. crazy. And, and I think it's the most Lovecraftian film that I have mm. that, I, that I've seen. There's few. There's a few. I do feel though that the the approach, the visual color palette that that Mac chose, the vibrancy. Mm -hmm. it, it is an homage, you know, to not only Lovecraft's mythos, but also all of those like mad scientists movies mm -hmm. that I'm sure Stuart grew up in seeing him in theaters, you know, uh, it's just so great follow up to reanimator mm -hmm. and a real gift to Lovecraft. When did you watch from beyond again, Chris? Just a couple nights ago. You came over to my house, you saw the resonator and you're like, I need to watch that again. Is that what it, cause he was at my house no. Saturday. <laughs> no, no, actually I didn't go upstairs that day. You never went to no, Oh, You I have the resonator. Day. I forget this. Yeah. You yeah. have the resonator. Yeah. Yeah. Well here, let me tell you, you'll think this is funny cause you know, nay, my fiance. Yes, I um, do. So she is the pickiest person on the planet and almost hates every movie. She's, she's not really a movie fan, period. Okay. But I make her watch stuff and 99.9% .9 of the time she hates it. She doesn't emote too much. So you never can read her, right? I showed her Reanimator and I thought she was going to think it was the stupidest thing ever. She loved Reanimator, which shocked me. So then... I go, we got to watch From Beyond. I turn it on. The resonator is literally right over our shoulder as we're watching From Beyond. I go, you have no idea how awesome this is. You're getting to watch the movie. It's right there. How cool is that? She was like, yeah, I didn't like that. <laughs> she, she, and she's like, and I think that thing looks stupid. It looks like a water heater in a disco ball. I'm like, okay. All right. Well, it is an homage to all of those Frankenstein movies with those big switches, that, yeah. you know, yeah. it's like right out of all of that, that stuff, uh, you know. She does not appreciate it, so. Oh, well. <laughs> oh to each his own, yeah, but. Uh, exactly. But it was. Uh, Get it used was, to it. It ain't going nowhere. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And you have the only one. Yeah. That's amazing. It's amazing because you know that was in that was in Italy that thing, and so somebody had to ship that damn thing back and then store it somewhere for all those years. And uh, well, I remember when I talked to Stewart about when Stewart found out I had it, he was like, "Are you kidding me? I figured that ended up in a dumpster in Italy." He goes, "Somebody sent that back," and I'm like, "Yeah, yeah. somebody <laughs> sent that back." And he wanted man. it. He wanted it. Stewart wanted. Of course it. he did. Of course he did. Yeah. You can't have it. He never directly asked me, but he hinted at it and he told, was it you? He told somebody he wants it back. I can't remember. Somebody said, you know, Stuart said he wants it. And I was like, 
I was at a signing at Dark Delicacies maybe a couple of years ago, maybe a year ago. And these two dudes came in, I think they're brothers, and they designed it. Maybe they maybe it's who you got it got it from. The brothers didn't design it. They were friends with the guy who designed you're talking about the Scotech brothers. Dennis okay. and Robert Scotech, they're um, visual effects artists. They do miniatures and and they were the guys that when I interviewed them for Escape from New York, I saw it in their studio. And that's when I was like, oh my God. And uh, and I gave them my number and I said, if you ever sell this, a, yeah. Call me. Well, my point is when they, I was there, they brought to me the miniature. Oh, yeah, yeah. They tried to sell of, me that too. Of the resonator. It's like the miniature. Like probably <laughs> the thing that they took to Stuart. Did they make the miniature? Did no, they make they, the resonator? They, they got that from the same guy. The, the story Dennis Skotek told me, I'm trying to look up the real guy's name right now. Dennis told me that he went over to his friend's house, who was an effects guy or a production designer. It was in the living room. And he said that he fell in love with it. He'd never seen From Beyond, didn't know the movie, just thought it was a very cool piece of science fiction art. And he said he bought that and the maquette, the miniature you're talking about. And the funny thing is the story, what actually happened that day when I was, I'm looking for his name while we're talking, what happened that day when I went to their studio is I was looking on a shelf and I saw the miniature was about that big. And I go, oh my God, is that the resonator from From Beyond? And he goes, yeah, the real one's over there. And I, uh, and I was like, oh shit, because their studio was really dark. And he goes, oh yeah, it works. He plugged it in. And that's when I was like, oh, my God, I need to have this. Well, that's what I said to him about the miniature. I went, oh, my God, I got to have this. <laughs> I go, well, you know. Well, like, the, I, like, don't, no. I, I know the guy who ended up buying the miniature because I they sold me the, the big one. And then they called. Uh, he called me about a year later and said, would you be interested in buying the maquette? And he offered it to me. I think he wanted 1500 for it. And I said, you know, it's awesome. And I kind of regret not getting it now. But I was like, I got the real one. I Do I need the model of the real one? Uh, so I just kind of said, nah, it's cool. Well, well, what I think about it is that miniature mm -hmm. is what the, the guy who designed the resonator took to Stuart, probably, and yeah. said, this is what I'm thinking of. Mm -hmm. You know, this little miniature version of what I will be so to think that that sat in front of Stuart, I'm sure he had some notes, but he greenlit, yeah, do that. <laughs> yeah. That's sort of, sort of pretty special. It's driving me crazy that I can't find this guy's name, but he... His name will probably ring a bell when I hear it, too. Um, I know where I have it because I have the... I had him write me up a, like a certificate of authenticity, and he wrote a letter telling me who he purchased it from. And I have that in the other room, but I'm just hoping I could recognize his name through the credits here. Gave you the provenance. <laughs> it's going to drive me nuts. Let me go look real quick, all right? I was curious of what you've learned about Poe that not many people know. Well. Is there anything that surprised you oh, other than almost everything? <laughs> you know, everybody always says, well, you know, Poe was uh, a drunk, an alcoholic, a couldn't keep a job. A complex man is mm -hmm. what I would say. Uh, not somebody that you could categorize. Mm -hmm. You know, all of his tales, his short 
stories and stuff are actually quite diverse. Not all of them are ghoulish and horror-based at all. Mm -hmm. uh, he was very, very uh, just completely kaleidoscopic in his diversity, had a lot of interests. And also that he was a really sweet guy. He was mm. very gentle. I just think he was humanity writ large. Uh, maybe he was bipolar, mm -hmm. but I, 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 I don't know. I mean, I mean a lot of his, uh, a lot of his flare-ups had to do with uh, grievances and feeling an inequality mm. between North and South. Uh, you know, the, the Northern writers, mostly from Boston, really looked down on Southern Southerners and didn't think anything literary could ever come out mm. of the South. And that really, that really got him going. Mm. So I, I, I would just say that it can't be categorized. I remember one time going to the library and I found a book in the Poe section of the writings of Poe, essays and letters, okay? Mm. Essays and letters. That book was about that thick and the, the font was minuscule. It was just, who writes this much? I mean, the man died when he was 39. Right. And that, and that didn't count all of the things that we really know it for. Mm -hmm. that, that didn't count his poetry and that didn't count his tales. This, these were essays, criticisms. He was a critic, uh, you know, and, and he was an editor and he was also a literary critic. He would read other people's books mm. and then write a, write a review. Sometimes for money. I didn't know that. That's interesting. Wow. Well, it was part of his job as a as as an editor of magazines, biweekly magazines that you know he put them all together. And a lot of the time, his tales were uh, out of necessity. Oh my gosh, I have space. I have to fill. Hmm. What do I do? Okay. And he would just quickly, quickly put something together and. Wow. Oh, good. Newspaper's done. Magazine's done. Good. Next. Nice. Whew. You know, and here we are all these years later going, wow. Right. What did he mean by it? <laughs> yes, exactly. He was also a, a, a merry prankster. Uh, he loved, uh, they were called cryptograms then, word puzzles. You know, he wrote uh, Charles Dickens, who was a contemporary of his. And at the time, Charles Dickens was writing a serialized story, and Poe got to a certain point and wrote him a letter and said, I know how you're going to end this. <laughs> this is how you're going to end it. And Charles Dickens wrote him back and like, how did you know that? <laughs> he was a genius. They met twice, you know, wow. when... Wow. Dickens was over in America doing exactly what I do in the show, holding recitals. And they met for like a lunch or whatever, uh, a couple of times. Poe was trying to get Dickens to get him a publisher in England. You know, a lot of people don't know, but Poe, when he was a child, lived in England. Yes, he was from Baltimore, but his, his adopted parents 
the father was kind of a businessman, mercantile kind of guy, and he decided to open a branch in England and moved there. And so Poe, I, I really think it was a pivotal thing in Poe's life. He was a young boy, maybe, you know, nine to 12, 13, somewhere around in there, maybe younger, don't really have that clear, but he went to school in England. And I'm uh, no doubt that that kind of education in the classics that he received was a foundation for a lot of his writing because I don't think you're going to find that in uh, Baltimore in the 18th. Right. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. That's amazing. I found the answer. Uh, yes. his, his name was David Zen Mansley. Okay. So that doesn't ring a bell. Now that I looked him up on uh, IMDb, it says designer and creator of the resonator. Hmm. So, anyway. and how they and how they came across him and found him because you know he probably he's from LA, he's American, right? Yeah, he, yeah, he, yeah. So he built that thing and they shipped it over there. Yeah. This, and you have it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Someday I want to pull that switch again. Oh, you know, he also worked with uh, worth you on Pit and the Pendulum. He was a uh, second unit set design. Wow. So I don't want to keep you any longer. So we're going to wrap enjoy, this up. I'm enjoying this, guys. I'm, don't worry about it. I'm glad. So are we. But I, I want to go ahead and end on this this final, uh, and this is up to you. You can say yes or no. Okay, but before you do, I just want to say something. Go is that it. a Waxworks record? t-shirt that yes, you got waxworks record yes i i, I want to just point out to you what was their first soundtrack that waxwork ever put out wasn't it reanimator bingo yeah <laughs> mighty bingo. fine uh release by the way i own the the really limited glow in the dark vinyl i may too i've got some out there and uh never been opened yeah that's a yeah they did a beautiful job with that they really did. I was so honored that that's what they chose to do their launch with. So See, that's just a testament to how great the film is. A whole company put their their company on your back, hoping shows shows to go. You yeah. <laughs> Barry Rubin uh, would like to know. He said, uh, "Well, he said first off, you're you are very memorably. What is he memorably played?" Oh, you have very memorable, I don't know if he wrote this correctly. Anyway, he's saying he loves your, your Poe. And he asked if you would possibly recite just a, a small bit on, on the podcast. You don't have to if you don't want to. Don't put you on the spot. I can cut this out if you don't want to do it. It's like it never happened. <laughs> From childhood's hour, I have not been as others were. I have not seen as others saw. I could not bring my passions from the common spring. And from the same source, I have not found my sorrows. I could not awaken my heart to joy at the same tone. And all I loved, I loved alone. <laughs>
Uh, I'll go that far. There's more to it than that, but... uh, But but you have to pay for that. (laughs) You got to pay for that. Uh, I I will say that, uh, as I say in the show, right after I recite that poem, he wrote that when he was not yet 20 years of age. Wow, it's amazing. That is a full-blown, mature literary voice right there. Mm. And he's like 19. Mm -hmm. Saying to himself, I'm not like everybody. I don't see things the way they see it. I don't feel the way they see it. I just am different. Mm -hmm. I'm different. And it's it's sort of a testament, a self-knowledge there. And he doesn't sound like he's okay. It disturbs him. He's just acknowledging, mm, boy, I'm really different. The crowd, the crowd's all over there, and I'm kind of an outsider. And I think people really can relate to that kind of uh, feeling of being the other. Artists certainly can. We can all relate to that. In keeping with that, I, I want you guys to know, and and it, and, it, and it really hasn't been announced yet or anything, but we are on the verge of releasing later this year. We found a recording of one of my shows and we're going to put it out on an audio book. Oh, amazing. Oh, uh, a lot of the show doesn't translate to an audio book because it's somewhat visual. So it had to be somewhat trimmed to fit the uh, the platform the audio is different than being on stage you know there's things that that don't translate the quiet silent things that go on but uh i'm really happy with how it turned out i'm very excited very excited about that i know i know stephanie will be ecstatic about it yeah that's cool yeah and i I think it also captures the spirit of the show uh Mm -hmm. the audience exuberance and their participation uh, my interplay a little bit with them uh, just the ambiance of of a live performance i mean it's Mm -hmm. not just me reading stuff it's me really performing it on my feet in real time so is there we'll see how that goes is there a place fans can go to stay updated on that? Do you have any, like, is there, like, your social media? I, I am telling you before we have gotten to a place. Right now, we're, we, we've completed it, and we're just waiting to put it on a platform like Audible. Mm-hmm. But is there somewhere that fans could maybe follow you online to be able to, you know, when it is announced, be able to find out more info? Uh, Are you on any social media or anything that they could follow you on? Um, uh, no. Okay. (laughs) Good for you. Good for you. Well, you know what? You'll keep us informed and we'll talk about it on the show. Will you come back and visit us? Come back and do this again? Would you do that? I would love to do that, and uh, that's a bit of an exclusive for you guys. I almost hesitated saying anything about it because I don't want to get out in front of it, but I see this as a good opportunity to just sort of maybe plant a seed that that's something yeah. that we've been I've been working on in my uh, my isolation here. Uh, awesome. 
that's very exciting. Thank you for sharing Giving notes and, and, and putting this, this piece together, uh, mm -hmm. you know, just something that people can sit and put headphones on or turn it up and just kind of close their eyes and just kind of imagine what it might be like. Excellent. Well, thank you, sir. Appreciate thank you. That. that was a lot of fun. It was good seeing you, you know, even though it's through a screen, um, it's, it's good seeing hey, you because I miss you. Hey, <laughs> hey, do me a favor and, uh, flip the switch on the resonator and take a trip <laughs> on me. Let me know what you see. I kind of have an idea though. I don't think it's going to be good for you. I'm just telling you, turn it off. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, sir. It was an honor. Thank you so much for being here. Great. Thanks for asking me to do this anytime. Okay. Wonderful conversation. Could, All right. Could wish we could do it again, sir. Hey, uh, vote. Oh. Okay. Take no a bathroom break if you need it. Uh, <laughs> I'll take a potato chip break. So. There you go, potato chip break.